Good morning. It's uh, good to be back. I was telling Darren earlier that it just seems like you blink an eye and it's one Sunday to the next, and here we are back, and I'm glad to see some uh, familiar faces back with us. It's good to have uh, Jordan and Ashley back with us. We're grateful and hope God's doing a good work in your midst there away from college. If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn to the book of Ephesians, the letter of Ephesians, the first chapter. We're going to once again look at this one long sentence. I also want to say it's the grace of God that you would come and hear me again. I, I'm always, um, to be quite frank with you, it's, it's amazing uh, and humbling. And so this morning I don't take I don't take it lightly about what we're doing. If you find it, the book of Ephesians, um, somebody told me back in church camp days a long time ago, if you're struggling, you get to the Corinthians and then you go eat purple chicken. Uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. So um, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Are we there? Amen? All right. First chapter of the book of Ephesians. This week is our third week in this amazing text. Uh, just as a review, we are looking at the work of salvation from the Godhead, from the triune God. And as I was thinking about, this really is kind of a, a, a long sermon, like this is a long sentence. It's a long sermon with three parts. And so really, part number one was the work of the Father, if you were outlining the sermon, although that took a couple of weeks. And point number two was the work of the Son, Jesus Christ, and then this week, we're on the work of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul um, begins this letter to those in Ephesus, and I'm going to stay with a few exceptions here in chapter 1. And I would just say that uh, whether it's your phone or your Bible, I like a, a copy of the Bible in front of me, um, and we're going to stay, try to stay with the text. In verse 3, the Apostle Paul begins, with blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It was in the first week that we saw that glorious truth <clears throat> that we are blessed by God the Father. He's doing something. And we talked about that preposition in, and we're going to see it several times in this text. But we are blessed and we have these spiritual blessings, and it's in a realm unlike any other. And in verse 4, he says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. We may not understand it all, but the God of the universe, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, chose us before the foundation of the world. In other words, before the world was created, when it was still without form and void, God was making this plan. What was his choice? Why did he pick us? Why did we? There's a word, it's a word that is used in Christian circles, a, theolog, a theological word. Why did God elect us to do this? Well, he had a purpose, and that's so we could be holy and blameless before him. We talk about the gospel a lot, and we say that this is a place of good news, and I have said from time to time, I want my home to be a lighthouse for the gospel. I want this church, or I desire that the church I belong to is a 
lighthouse or a beacon of the good news of Jesus Christ. But here is the good news. The good news is in verse 4, and it's where Paul is, and this is for review, that God looking down and looking before time began, he, he was choosing us, not because he was going to look down and see the best candidate. He wasn't deciding who had the most merits or who had everything together. The good news is he looked at us and he knew our he knew that we would fail. He knew that we were frail and he knew that we had faults. It wasn't like he was picking a Boy Scout. He wasn't looking for the one with the most merit badges because he knew that none existed. And so the good news is that God chose us. And verse 5 says, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons. That's, a, that's an all-inclusive word there. Sons or daughters through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. In other words, again, for a point of introduction and as review, God's setting the parameters. He's charting the course that He was going to put things in motion to provide for us to become adopted as sons and daughters. He was looking out and He said that I'm picking you, I'm choosing you, and I want you to be my child. And that's the good news. He didn't say you have to be good enough you have to do this or that. He's saying that I am going to provide you a way for adoption. In everything that is mine, just as a, and, and even more so than a human adoption, everything that is mine is yours. And how did he do that? Look at verse 4. The words are very important through Jesus Christ. That was the purpose of his will. It was not that he was forced. It wasn't that God was guilted into it. It wasn't some random thought or an afterthought or a plan B. It was the God of the universe set in motion this great salvation for us. And that's why we're here to sing and to pray and to preach and to announce and to be together. And that's why we're here in this fellowship with because we're bound together. And on what basis? What basis did this God, the Father, choose us and predestine us as adopted children through Jesus Christ? On what basis would he ever do that? Again, if you would look at, verse, at the end of verse 4 and beginning of verse 5, there are two powerful words. In love. In love. We should have no doubt that the basis of this great and glorious grand plan of God was on the basis of love. This morning, I, I, I would say as a prayer time, but more or less a meditating time, um, I, I really didn't spend much time looking at the news or looking at social media, um, not because I'm not concerned, not because I don't think it's important, not because I don't think there's a lot at stake for our, our country, not, none of that. But... but but what I began to see is almost every place I look outside these walls, the world is promoting something other than love. Now, I want to tell you this morning that what the love I'm talking about here is not some mushy Hollywood rendition of a ooey gooey love. This is a true love, 
As a matter of fact, I want to show you in just a second that the good news, and I, I hope I keep coming back to that, the good news, the gospel, the message that we have, I just, sometimes I don't know if I believe it, and then I, in my mind I, I say, and I wonder, do we believe it as a church? And then I sit and wonder, do, do Christians believe it in this country? And then I think, do our churches across this land believe it? Do we really believe what I'm about to tell you, that it was on the basis of this love? And in 1 John 4, 8, if you don't have that memorized, I want to give you three words to, to memorize. 1 John 4, 8. I just want you, how, what is love? And here it is. I'm going to give you the secret. God is love. God is love. God is the, the ultimate expression of love. If you want to know what love looks like, it's God the Father. It's God. And so there you have it. The first point, the purpose and the plan of our salvation was from God the Father. The next, we look at God the Son. This preposition, in Him or in Christ or in the Beloved, is used. I, I, I went through and I worked it out myself. And depending on your English translation, 11 times in the ESV do we see this prepositional phrase. Paul is making it clear that salvation is planned by God, but it's through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's through the Lord Jesus Christ that we have salvation. God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ purchased our salvation. It is in Him, look at verse 7, in Him we have redemption. Who is the Him? It's the Beloved. Who's the Beloved? It's Jesus. Who is Jesus? The Christ, the Anointed One. It is in this One that we have the redemption. We have redemption from what? Verse 7 again, the forgiveness of our trespasses or our sins. We spent a long time talking about being bought back from the slave market of Satan. This morning, the good news, again, here it is, I'm repeating it, the good news is we're no longer bound to the chains of sin and our selfish desires. Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, left the throne room of heaven and took on the form of man. He became incarnate, meaning he took on flesh and he executed God's plan and he humbled himself even to the point of death. You see, Christmas is not... The message of Christmas gets lost in us. This is the Christmas message. You see, the babe of Bethlehem became the Christ of Calvary. Without a Christmas, without the birth of a, of a perfect virgin-born son, without this perfect God-man, there is no hope that we're talking about. And so when we come to Christmas, in just a few months, we, we, I want us to think about what Christ did. He willingly did this. And notice in verse 7 it says, It's by His blood. It's by His blood. I'm still on this idea of God is love. And if you have your Bibles, if you would just keep turning to the back, just keep going backwards and you'll pass James and you'll pass Peter. Or you can look and maybe with a new technology you can find 1 John. And I'd like for you to find 1 John chapter 4. And I thought, man, this is a powerful understanding and, and we're going to this because it's it's really how this is all working what what is going on what does the apostle paul know and i think 
John has an idea here for us. I'd like to start in verse 7. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, he says, Beloved, that's one of the terms John loves to talk to his readers about, and I like that term. I, I like being someone's beloved. Amen? Isn't that good? Um, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever love loves has been born of God and knows God. Verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God. And here's the words that we talked about, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Now, I want you guys to see this. Verse 10, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. I think that clearly talks about what love is. There's a word there, propitiate. It's a big word, but I, I, I'm not a very smart guy myself, but I want to try to break it down for us. Propitiation has to do with, if you just break it down, pro means for, and propitiate means to change at one's attitude. And so in other words, Jesus Christ brought back a change and restored fellowship in the process of propitiation and restored our fellowship with, Christ, with God himself. There's another term, expitiate. Ex means out. Again, pitiation is the, is the root word. It means, in biblical terms, it has to do with the taking away from guilt through a payment or a penalty or an offering of atonement. So here is what I'm trying to say. We spent some time on it last week. God sent Christ... Jesus Christ, the literal God-man, who paid the penalty and took away the wrath of God from us. So when Paul is writing in first, the first chapter of Ephesians, he's writing about this idea that in Christ, we know we can have love of God because Jesus paid the penalty. That's what we say Easter is about. So Christmas is about God coming in the form of the God-man out of love. He left heaven. He took on a bodily form so he could go over here to what the world calls Easter. We call here Resurrection Sunday because Jesus was nailed on the cross. He paid the penalty. Do you get it? This is the good news. Do you see that we're not doing anything at this point? All we're doing is receiving. It's the gift of God is what Paul later writes in Ephesians. Isn't that good news? It's, you don't have to do anything. You, all you have to come to, to do this morning here is to lift up your voices and open up your hands and bring nothing to this Christ. And so I, I want to go one more time to another text. Let's go back to Romans. I, we're going to get to the Holy Spirit in just a minute, but I'm trying to build the basis of what's going on here in Ephesians chapter 1. Romans chapter 5, we'll read three little verses. Romans 5, 8 through 11. Again, these verses spoke to me this week, and I just want to share them with you. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God shows us His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified, in other, in other words, we've been made right by His blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. 
Much more now that we are reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Wow, what a text. There it says it. God loved me in spite of my faults and my frailties and all of my flaws and all of my failures. God loved me in Christ. How do I know? How do I know God loves me this morning? Because Jesus died for me. There's no greater picture. How do I know God loves me? Because he sent his son for me. And so now we come to our text. We're going to go back to Ephesians chapter 1. And we'll just keep following the passage there. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 9. Making known to us, the uh, verse 8, I'm sorry, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom. And I like that word lavished. When someone loves you, they lavish upon you all these gifts and all these wonderful things, right? Right, men? That's how we treat our ladies, right, Will? That's how we're going to treat Aaron in a few weeks, right? Right? So lavishing upon all this love, according to the purpose for he set, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ. Verse 10, as the plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and in things on earth. Verse 11, in him we have tainted inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things to the counsel of his will. Verse 12, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. If God the Father planned it, God the Son purchased it, now we come to our text this morning, God the Holy Spirit is mediating or implementing it. This morning, is the focus is on the Holy Spirit. And that's why Tyler read from John's Gospel where Jesus said he would send the third, part, the per, third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. This is the, the same one he's sending, our helper, our advocate, our paraclete. He's coming. And in this passage, we see what is he doing in verse 9. He's making known to us the mystery of his will. The Christian faith is a great and glorious faith, but it remains in some ways a mystery regarding our God. Our God, is, as the guys talked about this summer, our God is indescribable and our God is undefinable. But Paul is telling us that this indescribable and this undefinable God is a God who planned through all the Old Testament, down through the prophets and through all the prophecies and everything that was going on now comes to fruition in Christ. The Bible is pointing. It's pointing back to Jesus. Or it's pointing out to Jesus or it's pointing towards Jesus this is the will of God, Jesus. What is the Christian life about? It's not about us. It's about Jesus. What is our church about? It's all about Jesus. What's our life to be about? Paul's saying it's to be all about Jesus. Verse 10 makes it very clear. There's a plan. And this plan came to culmination to the whole universe is under the risen and ruling Christ. Verse 11, we've obtained an inheritance. Do you realize this morning? And there's, 
There's whole sermons built on these topics. There's whole books written about the, our inheritance in Christ. And I'm just doing a passing glance. But this morning, you have an inheritance from God, your Father. You may say, well, I don't see my inheritance. Well, there's a concept in the Scriptures. It's a tension about already but not yet. We already have an inheritance, but we're not already there. Here's one of those places. He, he, we're already we already have an inheritance, but no, it's not there. Paul, if you want to turn over to the second chapter, Paul goes on to explain this in verses 6 and 7. He says that he has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. There's a, there's a means in which when we're saved, we are already seated in the heavenly realms. We're positionally seated in Christ. But you and I know we're not in heaven yet. We're not fully realizing our inheritance yet. It's like having saying our sins are forgiven, but you know you struggle with sin. We've already been forgiven, but we've not yet come to glorification. Our inheritance starts the moment we have Christ in our lives. And so this morning, brothers and sisters, that's what we're doing. I want to encourage us for just a moment here in verse 11. We've spoken about a big God theology. In other words, what I was trying to talk about a few weeks ago is this idea of the sovereignty of God. God's in control. There's the world of chaos, but God's the supreme sovereign ruler of the world. I want you to look with me very closely to verse 11. It says this, having predestined us according to the purpose of him who works. Now I want you to look at these words. All things according to the counsel of his will. God is not just in control of the big things. God is in control of the details. I want to say that again. God's in control of the details. God set out a course or a path for us in Christ. The goal was planned and it's being worked out in every little detail. We don't understand it all. It remains a mystery in some ways to us. God's bringing salvation to the nations, to every tongue, tribe on the planet. God's bringing people to himself. Here's what I want you to understand, and I tried to talk about it last week. There are things in your life that from this point of view, you don't understand. I don't know why so-and-so got sick. I don't know why... This person lost her job. I don't know why this war is happening. I don't know why, and we can just fill in the blanks. But brothers and sisters, I believe that every detail of your life is in the control of a sovereign God. And here's what he's trying to do. He's leading you to come to the truth of the knowledge of his son, Jesus Christ. Does that mean, listen very carefully, does that mean that God is in control of what's happening in 2020? Yes, it does. Does that mean we have to understand it? No. Does that mean that we have to like it? Not really. Does that mean that it's going to feel good or be good for us? Maybe not. But I believe that every detail on this planet is some way working 
to that culmination of the age where everybody will bow and every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So here's what I want us to understand. There is nothing that can thwart the plan and the will of God. Nothing. Nothing. And he's working into every detail of your life. When the pandemic happened, I, I used to write my or print my notes out. And, and, and so I switched. I, I used to handwrite my sermons and I went to typing my sermons, putting them in a little binder. And now I went to, you'll notice, I, I use a Surface. I, I use a tablet. And that's, I don't know if I like it or not, but I, the point is it's there. There's the words. It's on my, my sermons there. That's what I'm looking down at. I just want you to know that I don't understand how all this works. But I don't need to, to know that I can make a Word document in a PDF version. I can take this little stylus and mark it up in all kinds of red, red and blue and highlight it. Do you, you follow me? That's, that's just this little gizmo. And there's intricate details in this little gizmo that, that I, will, I will never have the intelligence to understand. There's nanotechnology that makes this work that I have no idea how people can machine little bitty pieces. But I know this, and I know this from my work experience, when there's a little bitty piece in a little, in a, in a, in a, tucked in a corner of a little electronic board on a piece of machinery, if it goes out, the whole thing doesn't work. It takes that little bitty detail. Are you, are you with me? Am I, is this making, because I don't feel like it, is it making sense? And so when you look at the canvas of your life, when you look at everything in your life, God is working instrumentally in you to bring about this plan of salvation in you. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing right now in your life. There's nothing that's bigger than God. There's nothing where it's catching him off guard. And so now we come to the crux of our message this morning. Here it is. It's in verse 13. In him, again, it's in Christ. When you heard the word of the truth, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. There are three things, there's three movements here, as in like a symphony and something, again, I'm talking about something I don't understand or know, but I understand enough to know in wonderful movements of music, there's, there's movements and you can tell the, the, the changes and it's all coming together to make this one beautiful sounding uh, piece of music. And here's the first movement. It says that when you heard the word of truth, there is something that God does in the plan of salvation that says we have to hear the good news. It's only good news if we hear it, if we understand it. And so I'm not going to have you turn back, but in Romans 10, it says that faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. That's why I don't care who's doing it. it does, it's obviously, there's a lot better people than me 
but that's why I'm privileged and honored and take what I do here important, so important, is by the proclamation of God's word, we are involved in this process. God's allowed us to be involved in this process. So people have to hear. What is it they need to hear? The word of Christ. Let me just quote this for you. In 1 Peter 1, it says, Since you have been born again, not a perishable seed, but an imperishable, through a living and abiding word of God. The word is the good news that was preached to you. The Holy Spirit takes the message and he begins to do something with it. When I grew up, people would talk about evangelizing. We would go out on evangelism calls. We would share the gospel. It just means simply that you need to share the good news of Jesus Christ. When you use the word of God, the scriptures, when you quote verses like John 3, 16, you're planting this seed and the Holy Spirit is going to do something. That's what the Bible says. That's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying all through the Old Testament and all these prophecies that were pointing to Jesus Christ, this is the good news that there was a coming Messiah and he's going to take it, he's going to plant it, he's going to water it, it's going to grow up and it's going to bring salvation and redemption and the forgiveness. That's our biggest problem is this problem of sin that we have. And he's saying, here it is, and it comes from hearing. It's a spiritual enterprise. The second is believing. It says, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him. 1 Corinthians 12, 3 says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except through the Holy Spirit. If you've come to know that Jesus Christ is your Savior, the Holy Spirit has enabled you to make that profession. Believing is receiving. And so that's what the Holy Spirit is doing. It's a God thing. Now, as I wrap up, I make really the point of the sermon. Hearing, believing, and look at the last one. Sealing. You are sealed with the promise, Holy Spirit. I don't know how many things I've read and studied and messages I've heard on this particular passage over the last several weeks, but I'm going to give you three things as a takeaway as we wrap up this morning of what this sealing means as an attempt to encourage us. This God that loved us, this God that saved us, this God that provided the means of salvation through Jesus Christ, this God who paid our sin debt, this God who made us right before him, this God who's making us holy, this God who's seeing us as blameless through his son, Jesus Christ's blood and death on Calvary, this God has sealed us. And here's three things. One, it's a mark of ownership. When you are sealed with something, it says this object or person belongs to the owner. It's a seal of authenticity. When God seals us in the Holy Spirit, he's saying this, don't mess with this person. They're the child of a king. They're the child of the king. This is an authentic Christian. I possess them. They're possessed by the Holy Spirit. They're sealed with the mark of authenticity. Satan wants to whisper in your ear this morning, you are not a child of God if you come to know Jesus Christ. 
The Bible says if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you believe that God raised him from the dead, if you place your faith and trust from him, if you turn from your sin and yourself and you focus your life and reorient his life on him, you are a child of God. And if you're a child of God, Satan doesn't have any business with you. Tell him to get behind you and tell Satan that you are marked with the seal of authenticity. And here's what Satan can do. He can return back to hell where he belongs. Amen? There is nothing in your life that God doesn't control. And that now, is Satan going to come? Yeah, he hates it. He's going to try to discourage you. He's going to put obstacles in your way. He's going to get you down. But don't you dare let him. And you can't try hard enough. And you can't muster up enough. And it's not about pulling yourself up by the bootstraps. It's about standing on the word of God in Christ Jesus. I'm standing on the promises. That's what I'm doing. Because I've been marked. Second, security. In Rome, when a document was sealed, it was sealed with a wax seal and it had a, a, a ring, a signet. And it said the only person who can ever break this seal is someone mightier than the person placing the seal. And I like what John MacArthur says. He says, this is secure. No one can touch this life unless by the higher authority. And the only higher authority is the Almighty God Himself. When you are sealed, nothing can break it. You are saved. No matter how you feel, no matter what you think, you're sealed. And finally, it's a finished transaction. When we're sealed, when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, it is a finished transaction. You are saved. You are right before a holy God. Now, you're growing in your faith. That's called sanctification. And we talked about that the other day. And there will come a day when we go to heaven and we'll be glorified. But the Holy Spirit has sealed us and the transaction is final. And then verse 14, he's the guarantor. Well, I kind of was hoping you would be here this morning. Um, because your bridal shower is not yours, but... Your bride's bridal shower, Aaron's, is in a few moments. You're going to get married, right? And this is what I love to do is call people out in my preaching. I love it. Did you ask Aaron to marry you? Yep. Um, did you give her anything when you did that? What did you give her? A ring. So in other words, you said, I want to unite with you in marriage. And as a pledge, I'm going to give you a seal of my love. They're going to seal that in a couple of weeks. The, the deal is going to be sealed. But in essence, they're not looking at anybody else. They're, they're committed to one another. And that's what this guarantee is. It's a very simplistic way of looking at that. And so there you have it, the work of the Holy Spirit. So as I conclude this morning, I want to say to you, brothers and sisters, there was a plan before the world. God chose us. He's working out every detail. Jesus made the way, and the Holy Spirit's guaranteeing it. And that is worth praising God about. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who sealed us who marked us. 
Thank you that you chose us before the foundation of the world. We give you praise that you adopted us as sons and daughters in Christ Jesus. We are thankful that you paid the price for the redemption of our, of our sins through the forgiveness of, uh, of our sins through the blood of Christ. We're grateful that we have an inheritance in heaven. This morning as we sing, let us, Lord, focus on this blessed assurance that Jesus is mine. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that's struggling, uh, that hasn't done to made that decision, uh, turn their life over to you, I pray that they would do this right now. Lord, as we sing, they know they can come and pray at this altar. Father, I pray that if anyone's being tempted or discouraged by Satan, that he would get behind them, that he would have no dominion over yours. And Lord, I pray that we would all know what it means to be loved that you loved us even while we were yet sinners, even while we we're enemies. Lord, help us to sing about that this morning. Let us lift our voices and praise you because of what Christ has done. Amen.